0: Today we're in Nehemiah chapter 10. I am picking up verse 38 from Nehemiah chapter 9 because I think that's an important transition. Uh, not super thrilled about the way they broke down the chapters here, but you all know the chapters and the verse numbers are not inspired. It was the text that was inspired. The text was written in such a way that it has those chapter and verse numbers as locator guides so that we know where to find it, just like addresses, but they're not inspired or infallible. That verse 38 that I wanna pick up with gives us the because of this. So it kind of pulls in everything that happened in chapter nine. We're gonna walk through this. I'm gonna try to keep it a little shorter today, but as I walk through it, I wanna start with an illustration. Read this out of a book. It's about a military pilot who was describing his experiences of learning to fly a high powered jet. So they took this pilot and put him in uncomfortable circumstances. They told him they want you to fly at night, so you learn how to just use your instrument panel. And because we tend to all rely upon our senses, to rely upon the things that we see in life, the things that we feel in life, the instructor told the pilot, close your eyes, fly the plane. He closed his eyes, began to fly the plane at night with his eyes closed, just using his senses. How do I feel? The instructor at the back, after some time had passed it, didn't say how long, asked the pilot in the front, how do you think you're doing? Uh, The pilot, probably like many of us, said, well, things are great. The instructor said, open your eyes. The pilot opened his eyes, looked at his instrument panel to learn that he was flying upside down and he was headed towards the ground. Now, there's a lesson for us there in that when we fly through life, based totally on our feelings. How do you feel? What's going on? We may think everything is okay, everything is perfect. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Only to find out that at some point we wake up and look at the instrument panel that we have been given to realize that our life is upside down and headed for complete disaster. The children of Israel, they disobeyed God's word. They may have been acting on how they felt. They may have been acting on selfish ambitions or motives. We don't, we, we know they were sinful. We know they rebelled against God. And God, from that point, put them in exile. He put them in exile and now he's bringing them back. And so to remind you and to catch you up on where we are, in chapter 8, after they had built the wall, they brought out the book. The Word of God comes out. The Torah The Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament come out. They read those first five books of the Old Testament, and the people began to weep. The people are convicted of their sin, and they say, no, 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 don't weep. This is a time of joy, a time of celebration. They send them away. We see that they keep the feast a boost. They're not just hearers of the Word. They are doers of the Word as well. So the Word has done its work. You remember we had the little play there off the Mandalorian, this is the way God has spoken. They obeyed with the Feast of Booths. They did the word, they weren't just hearers. And then you move to chapter nine. And in chapter nine, they come back for more. They come back to read the word and then confess. They're confessing their sins for half the day. They're reading the word for half the day. They're recognizing that this instrument guide panel for life that God has given us, his word, his sure word that doesn't fade, that doesn't change, has said to them, you've got some issues. So then they go through that portion of repentance and confession. The second half of chapter nine, they're confessing, but they're confessing all the great things that God has done. God, you have been faithful. God, you have brought us out. God, you have provided manna for us. God, you have given us water. God, you have taken us into the territory. We have completely rebelled. We have been unfaithful over and over and over again, but God, you have been faithful. And that's an important point to get because that brings you then to verse 38 of chapter nine where it says, because of all this. Well, what's the this there? What's the indefinite aspect? Is it's pulling in all of what has just been confessed in chapter nine. God, you are a faithful God that keeps your promises. We are in the middle of uncertain times. Probably all of us are watching way too much social media, watching way too many press conferences, and watching way too many people talk about things that we really don't have answers to right now. It's complete uncertainty in the human sense. But there's a God who is on his throne, who is sovereign, who understands and knows not just what happened yesterday, but what is happening today and what will happen tomorrow and what will happen in May and June and August and next year and for all eternity. There is an all-knowing God that has given us an instruction book and he has been faithful throughout. He makes a promise, he keeps his promise. He makes a promise, he keeps his promise. And he has made certain promises to us that tells us our future in eternity with him is sure. And even though in this life we may lose our life, there is a resurrection from the dead. There is an eternity that awaits. All things will be okay. Do we trust his word? Do we believe his word? Because of this, The people, it says, made a firm covenant in writing. They wrote down their names. Here's what we're gonna do. They sealed the document with their names. So here's our main idea before I read portions of our text this morning. The main idea is this. Recognizing God's faithfulness, the people commit to live by God's word. Here's here's where I get this main idea. They recognize God's faithfulness. Look at verse 38, chapter nine. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. All of God's faithfulness, we commit then. It's a sealed document. The names of the princes on the seals, the names of Nehemiah the governor, all of these other names down through verse 27, which I'm not gonna read. And then in verse 28, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. They join with their brothers, their nobles, and they enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. They wanna walk in God's law. Now that's living by God's word. That's where the second part of our main idea comes from. They want to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God. So there we understand that Moses was the author of the Pentateuch, of the first five books, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our God, and his rules and his statutes. So here we go. They want to observe. They want to do. They want to follow all of God's commandments, all of his rules, all of his statutes. There's your main idea. Because of God's faithfulness, the people commit to live by God's word. Now, I've got three points for you this morning. And then we'll have some application at the end. The first point is submission to the Word of God. We get that in verse 38. Because of all this, we're going to make a firm covenant. We see it also in chapter 10, verse 29. Joining to a curse and an oath. They are submitting to the Word of God. The second is separation as the people of God. We'll get there. And the third is support for the worship of God. So here we go with point number one. Submission to God's Word. Submission to the Word of God. This is what we see happening. Because of God's faithfulness, because of all they, they have seen, they are then gonna submit to the Word of God. Look at verse 38, because of this we make a firm covenant. And then you see Nehemiah in chapter 10 verse 1, he of course is the governor. You say, well, wait a second, I I don't see Ezra here. Where's Ezra? Well, the family heads are listed. So in verse two, there you see Sariah and that's the family head over Ezra. He was part of that family. So his name's included with the family heads being listed there. This is a long list. I don't know if everybody's listed here. I tried to figure that out. I can't figure out if everybody's listed or not. There, There are points to be made or implications. I suspect not everybody was willing to sign on to this. I suspect there was somebody that said, I just don't like the way Nehemiah is leading. I don't like what Nehemiah is doing. I'm not putting my name to anything. I don't sign documents. I'm not gonna do it. So there's probably somebody left out here, but I, I don't know who it was. It's too hard to try to figure out all of those details. And so we have a long list, meaning most of the people. And in verse 28, it says the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all of them who had separated themselves went into this oath, into this covenant. It's a long list. So then we think to ourselves, should I make an application then of should I make a covenant to the Lord? Well, these are Old Testament times. We live in New Testament times where we have the Holy Spirit now living within us. We don't live by the Old Testament law where we keep everything in the law. Most of it is repeated in the New Testament, but we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We understand that Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter five, verses 33 through 37 against using empty oaths. Sometimes you make an oath and it's an empty oath. It's made for show. It's made because everybody else is doing it, and there's a group dynamic here. Solomon gave a similar warning in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses one through seven. So I would say to you, we live in a time where it's not so much about making an oath or a covenant to say, I'm going to do these things. It's really about trusting God's word, obeying God's word, living and walking by God's word. Do you really believe the word of God? Because if we trust the Word of God, we as believers are gonna respond differently during these times of the coronavirus than those who have no hope or no faith. If their worldview is built on a worldview of a foundation of evolution and of the mightiest surviving, they have an entirely different outlook as to how they're gonna respond versus the people who are people of the book, people who have read the book, people who understand what God's Word says to us about loving God and loving others and God being in control. Anxiety that we shouldn't have. Are you anxious in your heart this morning? Is God in control? Is he on his throne? Do you trust the book? Sure, there's uncertainty. Sure, there are decisions that have to be made. Sure, we don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not anxious in my heart this morning because I know the one who holds it all in his hands. Do you trust the word of the Lord? And if you don't, Can I remind you that all of his promises are true? All of his promises that he has made, he has fulfilled. He has done everything he said he would do. So this morning we can look at the word and we can take great comfort and joy in the fact that we serve a God who keeps his promises. He is a faithful God and that gives me hope during uncertain times. Will you let your soul rest in the word of the Lord this morning? You sleep at night because you're not in control. You can't control it. You don't know the future. And trust the word of the Lord. Submission to the word of God. We also see separation as the people of God. Look at what it says in verse 28. The rest of the people, all of them, and right here you see it, all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land. We understand God called the Israelites to be separate. They violated most of those commands. Now we see that they're gonna keep those commands. They're coming back into it. Verse 29, there's the curse and the oath to walk in God's law. It's given by Moses. They want to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, all his rules, all his statutes. So which ones are they mentioning specifically? Look at verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land to take their daughters for our sons. So this deals with marriage, intermarriage with people of other faiths. Now this does not mean people of other ethnicities. This is talking about, you should not, in our day and time at least, is talking about you should not marry somebody who has a different God, a different faith. Think about the implications of this because this applies to you as a student at Cedarville University. Do you marry somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus? That's not wise. How are you gonna raise your children? How are you gonna rear your children? In the fear and admonition of the Lord, are you gonna go to church? Are your children gonna be brought up with quiet times in their homes? Are they gonna be taught the Bible? We we don't recommend, we don't do missionary dating. Do we trust God, even in a broader sense, with all of our sexuality? God, I'm single. I don't wanna be single. Do you trust God with your sexuality? Pornography, addictions, who you're gonna marry, How that works out, do you trust God with your sexuality? Here they said in their commitment, we're going to abide by your word, God. We are going to trust your word. We're not going to give our daughters or take the daughters of other people who may lead us astray. And if you think for a minute, because we often do, I can handle it. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, allowed his heart to be turned away from God because he intermarried strategically with the wisdom of the world to other kingdoms. If he can be turned away from God, any of us, we're susceptible to being turned away from the will of God. So here, this is one. Then they move to the second one that they do. Verse 31, and if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, a commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, that Saturday in their times, that Sabbath day to sell, we're not going to buy goods from them on the Sabbath. Now, here's a trick. So they would say, we're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Oh, but if those who are not believers bring their stuff in on the Sabbath, then we're not doing work on the Sabbath. So we can get around this rule. We can go around the spirit of the law because we can then buy from them so we can get around this. And they're saying here in this commitment, because they know their hearts and what they've broken and an honest commitment before the Lord, we're not going to buy goods from those who bring them in. We're not going to sell goods. We're not going to do things on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And then look at the faith this takes. We will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Think about separation as the people of God. They trust God's word because to make this commitment, they're saying every seventh year, we're gonna let the land rest and we're not gonna grow crops. So if we're not growing crops on the seventh year, that means we're trusting God that what he has given us on the sixth year is enough to provide for the seventh year until we grow crops again on that following year. They're saying in the way they exact all of these debts, we're not going to take debts from those who are among us on that seventh year. That takes faith in how we use our finances. That is trust in the Word of God. That's part of the reason they were in exile is because those 490 years, almost 500 years, they had not kept that seventh year, let the land rest commandment. So God exiled them and He said, I'm going to get the 70 years that has been commanded. There was judgment that took place and now they're coming back and they're saying, God, you have proven to us. your word." is true. We can trust your Word. We have a fear of the truth of your Word. We have an admiration of the truth of your Word. So here's our commitment. We're going to do what we were supposed to do. We commit that. We will trust your Word. They have separation as the people of God. Submission to the Word of God, separation as the people of God. And then point number three here is support for the worship of God. Look at what it says in verse 32. We also take upon ourselves the obligation to give a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. Now in this section, you're gonna see the house of our God mentioned about eight or nine times, depending on your translation. You're going to see here that it talks about a third of a shekel. And you may ask the question, why not a half shekel? That's what happened in the Old Testament. That was on the census. That was perhaps a one time. So depending on which commentary you read, either they lowered it to a third of the shekel because of the economic situation, or they actually increased it because it was now a third of a shekel every year. By the time we get to Jesus, it's different. It's a third of a shekel. They're taking this on voluntarily for the services of the house of our God. That's the key phrase here. It talks about four things they're going to do. But it's all for the house of the God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel for all the work of, see it again, the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, the people, likewise, would have cast lots for wood. Not commanded, but it is commanded to keep the fires burning. So to fulfill what needs to happen, they cast lots for the wood to bring it in to the house of our God. According to our fathers' houses, at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law, we obligate ourselves also to the first fruits. Now, notice the word first in this next section in first fruits. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year, here it is again, to the house of the Lord. Also to bring, again, to the house of our God to the priest who ministers in the house of our God. You catch the refrain here. When we're studying the Bible, we underline those repeated phrases because they're important. The firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions and fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priest, to the chambers, to the house of our God, and to bring the Levites, the tithes, From our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our towns where we labor, and the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithe, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe and the tithe to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain and wine and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priest who ministers and the gatekeepers and the singers." we will not neglect the house of our God. I think I've emphasized that enough. You've caught the point about the house of our God. So how do we translate this from the Old Testament to us in the New Testament? Support for the worship of God. House of our God, eight times. So we trust God with our finances. We trust God with our tithe. We are stewards and not owners. God owns it all, he has given it to us as a steward of it. I give the first portion back to him. So we see a temple tax, one third of a shekel. We see second, a wood offering, support for whatever is needed. We see third, the first fruits, not what's left over, We don't give God what's left at the end, we give God what is first because that shows a condition of our heart in recognizing the stewardship. God, you've given it to us. The first thing I wanna do with what you've given to me is give some back to you. So if in your heart, as you go to give your tithes and your offerings, as you go to give back to God what he's already given to you, if there's a stinginess in your heart, then recognize that as a temptation because at that point, we are acting more like owners and less like stewards. We are not as thankful as we should be. We have an an entitlement mentality to ourselves. God, I've done this. I I deserve this. And we don't. So God gives to me out of the joy of my heart as a cheerful giver, the first thing I want to do of the very first things I get is give those first things back to God. God, thank you. You have entrusted this to me. Let me return this to you and trust that you will give me what I need. We see the ties at the end of this. Sir Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. More importantly, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's move to application in closing. Counter-cultural living. Separation is the people of God. I don't mean by that a secondary separation or a complete isolation, which is a word that means a lot to us right now. What I mean by that is we act differently, we think differently, we live differently. So, how do we live as a countercultural people? What does submitting to the Word of God mean for us? What does it mean to trust the Word of God? So, here are some points for you to think about Do we trust God's Word when it comes to our sexuality? God is your way best. If we think our way is better than his way, we're leaning to our own understanding. And the Bible clearly tells us, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do we trust God when it comes to our work? Oh God, I've got to make all this happen. It's all on me. I've got to make it all happen. The stress, the anxiety, the pressure, Do we maintain the proper balance? Do we prioritize and support the worship of God? I think today in our society, sporting events have become our gods in many ways. Sporting events happen on Sunday. They happen, fine, we've got to go to a sporting event. These things are happening. All of a sudden now, God sends us this virus and all of a sudden the things that are important in life really come to the top. What happens to all of our sports? Cancel it, move it away. What do you do? Go spend time with your family. Go spend time with the Word of God. Do we prioritize studying over the worship of God? I can't go to church today. I've got a test on Monday. Really? Is that the right priority? Do we prioritize sleep? Yeah, I'm tired. I'm sleeping in. Why are you tired? I stayed up till two o'clock in the morning. All right, you should be tired. You should go to bed. Now, right now, it's not as big an issue. You're gonna get up on Sunday morning, you can have your pajamas on, you can wake up two minutes before it's time to click your computer on and watch an online service. It's not as big an issue. I still encourage you, keep as much normal as possible. Do we trust God's Word? Do we trust God? Now, now these are big issues for us right now. Is my heart anxious? Why? God's in control. Can I not sleep at night? Why? Because I think I've got to take care of it all and I can't. And that bothers me, God's in control. Do I trust God? Can I go to sleep at night and say, God, it's yours. It's always been yours. You care about everybody more than I do anyway. You take care of the situation. Do we trust God? Do we trust his words? Do we do that in the way we speak? Are we always looking to criticize or tear down? Are we looking to encourage or build others up? Do we do that in the way we seek to serve others? Can you help me do this? No, I can't. I mean, I got—I got to keep my six feet distance from you right now. I can't—I can't help you with anything. Stay away from me. Do we trust God, or do we not? I want to contend to you today what I have contended before. God is faithful, and you can trust Him. That means a lot to us right now. In a different time, in a New Testament time, with the Holy Spirit living within us, we still struggle with the same things they struggled with. The Word of the God has been read, it has been studied, we know we are sinners, we know we need to obey it, our hearts are wicked, we have that fallen nature, even after being saved, we have what Paul calls the flesh, do we give in to the flesh, do we go with the flesh, or do we trust God, do we trust the Word of God? God is faithful, you can trust Him. We can trust him for our lives. We can trust him for his word. It is sure, it is true, it will not fail. So the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. It is going up that downward escalator. It is climbing the mountain and when we fall, we get back up and we keep going. So right now, if you are listening to this and you know my heart's way too anxious, my rhythms in life are all off, I don't know what's gonna happen and I don't like it, it's a new beginning. I don't know what's going to happen either. And I don't like it. But God, I trust your word. I believe your word. My faith is in your word. My heart will rest in your word. Because you are faithful. And I can trust you. Tomorrow, I wake up. I set my alarm clock. I keep my rhythms. I get in the word. As I get in the word, I read the word. I trust the word. I trust the God of the word. It tells me that he is faithful. So today... May we, because we recognize God's faithfulness, back to our main idea, may we commit to obey God's word. Recognizing God's faithfulness, may we commit to trust God's word, to live by God's word, to obey God's word. May we let our hearts rest. May we let our anxious minds, the sands of the snow globes settle and trust In the word of our Lord. God, you are faithful. We can trust you. But God, we know our hearts are anxious, our minds are wondering. We are full of questions in this time. So, Lord, help us each day to recognize that your mercies are new and that you are a faithful God. May we each day read your word, allow it to sink deeply into our hearts by the power of your spirit and the fellowship with others. May we put aside the flesh. May we trust you, God. May we trust your word. May this time be a time where we confess to you our questions and our doubts. May we learn to walk with you in such a way that we trust your word. May we learn to talk with you in such a way that we pray constantly to you, seeking your reassurance, seeking the power of your spirit in our lives, so that at the end of all this all, we will have grown closer to you and our confidence and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ will be even greater. Lord, may you help us be witnesses to a world that has no reason to trust or hope, that may be anxious and may be wondering and may be faltering, can we bring the hope and the good news and the truth of the gospel to them? Lord, in a compelling, compassionate way, standing on your firm promises. And God, we thank you that you are faithful and that we can trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.